be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. So before we dive into this reading, just a few uh, announcements. Uh, great news, next weekend, we're having a visiting priest, so you get a break from my long-winded homilies. Huh? So Father Tony, I always get his last name mixed up, it's an Italian name, Valencino, I think. Uh, he'll be here this weekend. Uh, I'm finally going on vacation, so I get two weeks off, and uh, I, haven't had, I haven't had vacation since COVID started 20 years ago, that's what it feels like, so. And so I'm uh, just going out after uh, tomorrow morning, going on a road trip. I'm going to drive out to Montana. And I'm going to camp out in my car and just camp, hang out, just kind of disappear into the woods somewhere. And because uh, I've always wanted to wrestle a, a grizzly bear. I've always wanted to wrestle one of those things. So I'll try that. But pray for me that I make it over there back and, and back home in time. So it'd be beautiful. And because, uh, again, there's nothing like being out of nature especially alone with the Lord one-on-one. Oh man, the Lord will work in your heart when you're just with him and the Lord. Nothing like it. But so, so we have a visiting priest, so welcome him, Father Tony. He'll be here this, uh, next weekend. And then secondly, uh, make sure if you, if you haven't already, grab one of those little printouts we have with the readings. In it, we've uh, I transcribed a, a thank you letter that one of the fire victims who received our fund wrote to the parish. So it's all to you. I preserved her, there's some grammatical errors in it, but I can tell from her penmanship, it was an older lady, and so, but I, just, I, I didn't want to editorialize her, her letter, so I preserved all of the, all the missing words and everything else. But the, 
I want you to, because she wanted to write to all of you about her, her amazement when she received her, her check from, from the parish. And so we're still giving those out. In fact, yesterday I was in Portola and I went to the Sierra Motel there and I visited a single mother of four kids. She's been living, she's been living in hotels and, and motels, in fact, ever since she got burned out of Greenville. And so someone told me about her story. And so I contacted her and I said, and I played it down. I said, oh, we have a little bit of something for you. I, I'm trying to pretend like it was like 50 bucks or something, 100 bucks. So I met up with her. Her kids were there. And I was able to give her a $3,500 check. She was told, what is this? I said, praise the Lord. It's from you guys. I'm just a messenger. So, uh, so it, was, it was a beautiful sight. So again, thank you. We raised $42,000. $42,000. It was hard for me not, not to go to the pepper mill. I'm, I'm serious. It was hard. I resisted. But let's pray, huh? So for the past couple of weeks, you know, we've been diving into the book of Genesis. And again, I must reiterate, if you want to know why you exist, where you're going, why you're messed up, the world is messed up. I'm messed up. Go back to the book of Genesis. And in it, especially chapter 3, it will answer a pivotal question. Especially, and we hear this often time, especially from non-Christians. In fact, maybe you may have this question. Why did Jesus have to die? Why? Why did he choose precisely the way that he did. So a non-Christian comes up to you. Maybe, maybe he sees that you're carrying a Bible in your hand. Maybe somebody knows you, you go to Mass on Sunday. You have a crucifix around your neck. And they go up to you and say, hey, you're a Christian. Why did this Jesus have to die the way he did? What would you say? How would you sum it up in that elevator pitch? He had to die. And he chose that way because he paid a ransom which you and I could never pay. We incurred a debt, us, humanity, when Adam and Eve fell in Genesis 3. We inherited the original sin. And Christ paid for that debt which none of us could ever get out of. Or put it another way. Why did Jesus have to die? Is because we were on a train track. We were chained to this track and we have a freight train now barreling toward us. And we could not break free. And so Jesus jumps in front of the train. Takes the hit. So that you and I can live. That is why Jesus died. Right there. Because if he did not, that train would have ran us over. That, my friends, is glory. You see, that's precisely what our Lord is trying to teach the apostles today. Look at James and John. They go to Jesus. Remember, James and John are part of the twelve. And they pull Jesus aside and they, they attempt to conspire and to manipulate and to jockey for position. They said, Jesus, give us whatever we ask of you. We want to sit one at your right and one at your left. Why? 
Because they understood when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, that when Christ established the new Davidic kingdom, remember that, that was the role of the Messiah, would build the, the new kingdom, the Jewish kingdom, and to defeat all of their enemies. And so, knowing this kingdom, they had this worldly idea in their minds. Kingdom. What does kingdom mean? More power, more honor, more glory, more possessions. And so they said, ah, I want more of that. And so, Jesus, I want to sit right next to you. Because it is always the ones that are closest to the king who are the most powerful, aside from the king. Why do they want to do that for? Again, harken back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve fall, and we kick God out of our lives, what is the immediate result of that? It said that after they fell, Adam and Eve, that when they heard God walking through the garden, they hid behind the bush. And God asked them, why did you hide? Because we heard you moving in the garden. In other words, the moment that sin, original sin, enters into the world and we incur that, that guilt, the next result, fear. Fear comes in. Anxiety. Because no longer is the foundation of God in our lives, but we've rejected him, so leave this gaping hole. And then all of a sudden we're fearful. And because we're fearful, now enter Genesis 4. Story of Cain and Abel. You regulars in here will, will already know this. What do we fill that gap with? More power, more pleasure, more possessions. We fill our lives with these worldly things. Or let's just put it in more worldly terms. The greatest job title, more money, a bigger house, more cars, more stuff. We fill our lives with these things. Why? Because notice when I, when I accumulate these things, notice your ego. What happens to the ego? Poof. <laughs> Look how amazing I am. I got all this stuff. Look. Look at my title. Don't you know who I am? I'm a doctor now. I'm a lawyer. You know how much money I make? I'm amazing. Because the ego is so fearful, because we rejected God, we fill him with these things. But look what happens. If our lives are built not on God, but on those worldly things, we're setting ourselves up for a life of anxiety and fear. Because as we all know, all of those things are fragile. They go away. Our beauty never holds up. The threat of the economy downturning affects our, our bottom line. Our houses grow old. We grow old. <laughs> it's a life of fear. Yeah, maybe you'd be good for a couple years. But there's always that anxiety. James and John knows this. So they attempt to position themselves to fill their egos with the things of the world. And so Jesus now, knowing this, says to them, you know the rulers of this world, the Gentiles, lord it over them, and the great ones make their authority felt. But not you. What are you speaking about here? 
Who was the main power, the main ruler in this first century in Israel? The Roman Empire. What the heck are the Romans doing in Jerusalem? Jerusalem is 1,472 miles from Rome. Don't quote me on that. Rome, Jerusalem, nearly 1,500 miles apart. What the heck are Romans doing in Jerusalem? Because they're expanding their empire, aren't they? What is the role of every empire? To keep conquering. To keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because the more land, the more territory we have, the more possessions we have, the more glory, more. Who did the Romans defeat prior to taking power? They defeated the Greeks. And the greatest military general that ever existed was Alexander the Great. Remember him? It said that by the, year, by the time he was 35 years old, Alexander the Great conquered the known world. For 13 years, he, he, he battled and conquered everybody else around him. He's the only general in history that never lost a battle. He made it all the way to India. A Greek made it to the edges of India. And it is said that at one point, Alexander the Great cried, wept. Why? Because there was nobody left to conquer. Why did he keep growing the, the Greek Empire? More money, more power, more possessions, more. James and John wanted to be like everybody else and wanted more power, more honor, more pleasure. And so unless the Lord now takes it, he says, all right, you want to be great? Let me show you what it means to be truly great. For you want to be first, you must be a servant. You want to be amazing? You got to be a slave. Servants and slaves are nothing in the eyes of the world. They're the complete opposite of Alexander the Great. They're the complete opposite of the Roman emperors, aren't they? But our Lord now says, you want to be amazing? You got to follow me, my example. For indeed, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism of which I am baptized, you will be baptized. What is this drink here he's speaking about? What is the cup that our Lord drank? What is the baptism with which he was baptized? It was a baptism and a drink of suffering. Suffering. It is natural human tendency to want less suffering. We want to run away from it. We want to hide from it. We want less suffering. We want more power, more honor, more pleasure. And so what our Lord now here, he lays out this great, great paradox of Christianity. He says he wants to take the suffering which you will endure. By the way, there's no way around this. All of us here will endure tremendous suffering in our lives. There, there's no hiding from it. No matter what we do, we're going we're, we're gonna to feel it. We're gonna, we're, the train's going to hit us, so to speak, of suffering. It's not going to stop. And so our Lord now amazingly says this. He says, all right, you're going to drink the cup that I drink and the bath that I'm baptized. You also will be baptized. And so now what I want you to do, the world says you want less of that. Rather, 
as my followers, I want you now to embrace it. Take the cup that he will give you and I, the cup of, some of suffering. Take the baptism which he will baptize us with. And I want you now to use it in service of the other. There is power in suffering. The world does not want to hear that. There is glory in pain. The Lord does not want to hear that. The world wants more honor, more power, more honor, more pleasure. Jesus says, no, that's not what greatness is. Greatness now is to take your pain in your lives, take it, to look at it, and to unite it to him. And I really want to hammer this home because I don't want you to fall into despair when the pain comes. I don't want you to turn to drugs or alcohol or more material possessions to fill and to heal that pain. It is not going to heal it. It's not going to heal it. Because if we, if, if we take the worldly approach with our suffering, you know what's going to happen? We're going to fall into this darkness. More fear and more anxiety. And the root cause of our pain will never be healed. And so what will happen? The ripple effects of our pain and our suffering will radiate through our entire relationships and all our, and all our lives. And the ones who fill that breath will be the ones you love the most. Our Lord is offering a different, harder path. Take the suffering that you will endure in your lives. Bring it to him. And then you will have your glory, James and John. Then you will be great. Then you will be amazing. <laughs>